0: The Canucks make more changes, yes, even more changes to their hockey operations department. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance uh, here with you. Of course, you can read Drance's work at, at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenue-machinery.ca. I'm, uh, I'm racing a little bit to get through all of my boilerplate there, Drancer, because we are awaiting Canucks General Manager Patrick Alvine, who will speak to the media momentarily. And of course, you'll hear it here live on Canucks Hour. And then Drancer and myself will be back uh, with full reaction to what Patrick Alvine has to say. But while we wait... For uh, Alvin to take to the podium and start his press conference, I'll run through the bullet points of the changes that the Canucks made and the enhancements as they termed it uh, to their hockey operations department today that they announced today. So Ryan Johnson promoted to assistant to the general manager, not assistant to. GM assistant to the general manager, will continue to be the GM of the Abbotsford Canucks as
1: well. That's tough. That one stood out to me. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Uh, It is a promotion, but ultimately his job's being filled, right? He was the director of player development, and that is being filled. Let's go to Alvin.
0: Let's go to Patrick Alvin.
1: That started here with Canucks general manager, Patrick Alvin. We'll take our first one from Patrick Johnston, Post Media. Uh, Patrick um, obviously four different
0: hires but is there sort of an overall theme here I mean I see two guys that you've worked with before uh, a young guy and Dylan Crawford and then obviously Dale Talon who's been in the NHL for a long time was there sort of an overall picture you were trying to add here
2: yeah we um, were excited about the hires here and uh, I could thank the Pittsburgh Penguins for uh, for letting us uh, talk to Scott Young and and Frank Golden that were on the contract there. But uh, again, I bring in uh, good people, good experienced people with a winning pedigree here. um, uh, Like our our department uh, scouting stronger.
1: And just on
0: hiring Dale, I mean that the title is one that we've seen before, often for guys that are you know
2: sort of looking to get back in hockey who worked as GMs before. You know, what what is Dale's role going to be in all this? Well, Dale's role is as as a title is uh, he's going to advise the hockey um, operations and and uh, be pro scouting uh, with us. Sir. Next is Jeff Patterson, Rinkwide.
1: Patrick, as you fill out your staffing
0: here there are still vacancies or at least a vacancy when it comes to assistant coaches we know that brad shaw's name had been linked to chicago with an opportunity to interview there where are you with your assistant coaches and do you expect now that it looks like chicago is hired so do, do you expect brad shaw to be back on the bench this year
2: um bruce and i are um, you know daily communication and, and looking at uh, different options and and uh um, making sure that, that he gets the support that he needs in order uh, um, to to um, give us the best uh, wins for the club here. And uh, uh, regarding Bradshaw, he's another year of his contract here. So um, I, I believe that, that he's going to be on our bench.
0: And this is our first chance to talk to you since Andre Kuzmenko selected the Vancouver Canucks. And I know that you were quoted in a statement, but just curious to get your thoughts on the process and ultimately what you think you've landed here with this player.
2: Yeah, no, I, um, uh, it was a great process. Um, my, uh, uh background in spouting, I watched An- Andre for, for a couple of years and, and, uh, you know, uh, right off the bat there, when we start talking, uh, I felt we connected really well and, and, uh, you know, Dan Melstein is agent and Andre was, was very open and, and, uh, uh, Bruce did a good job and, and present, presented how we want to play and, uh, and what their goal was and, and how we uh, kind of uh, vision or, or plan for the Vancouver Canucks moving forward. And, and for Andre it was, it was about the opportunity but it also be part of a um, winning culture. like he, he wants to win and uh, he wants to be part of, of uh, this, uh, this club.
1: Once again, if you have a question for Patrick, please use the raise hand function. We'll go to Carol Schramm, Forbes.
0: Hi, Patrick. Thanks for doing this today. Um, I just wanted to ask about Ryan Johnson's promotion and uh, what the difference maybe is between assistant to the general manager versus assistant general manager and uh, how his duties will change from what he'd been doing before.
2: Well, I I uh, have a lot of respect for Ryan Johnson um, you know when I came in here uh, Ryan was in, was a guy that I relied on a lot um, his understanding of, of this organization and uh, uh, the players that are in their system um, Abbotsford I think he's done a tremendous job in Ab- Abbotsford uh, last year uh, putting a staff together there uh, for the first te- first time the team was coming in there um i think rj fits into this culture and, and what we want to accomplish here um he 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 had a title um as a, a player development before uh, now he's just gonna be focusing on on abbotsford here and, and help abbotsford build up uh, the franchise there um overseeing um, the, the player transaction in, in Abbotsford and, and be kind of my right-hand man when, when it comes to transactions here. So uh, much well-deserved uh, promotion for, for Ryan that's been, been a part of the Canucks for a long time.
0: Great, thank you. And um, with Scott Young coming in as director of player personnel, that again is a slightly different title than what Ryan had, but is that sort of a similar role?
2: Well, Scotty is going to be handing uh, um, uh, our, our college free agent recruitment, uh, overseeing uh, or unsigned uh, draft picks uh, and, and um, special assignments uh, for you know pro or, or free agent uh, purpose. There, so um, Scotty will will uh, will not managing uh, a team, but he will he will be out scouting. We'll go next to Rob Simpson, Vancouver Hockey Now. Hey, Patrick, just a quickie follow-up on the assistant coach situation. Can you just kind of clarify the timetable for maybe getting that last or next bench coach and some of the challenges involved? Yeah, I I, um, I don't think we have really a timetable here. I think... Um, you know Bruce and I are daily looking into options and and if the right fit is out there that makes our coaching staff better, I think that's something we would you know we would take our time and and um, evaluate it and go through the process. The only competition would be maybe losing somebody to a different club, right? Yeah, yeah, which you know we've seen a lot of changes in the league up to this point, so uh, there is still a lot of good uh, candidates out there. And we have just one more at the moment. That's a follow-up from Patrick Johnston,
1: Post Media. Just one
0: more on Dale. I mean, you have so many people, so many voices here. What was it about him that you felt would add to your group?
2: I think Dale comes from, you know, he's quite experienced there, uh, building uh, winning clubs in, in Florida and uh, in Chicago, um, being a first overall pick here from Vancouver as well. So I felt that that, when when he was available, uh, that he could really help uh, help our team here moving forward.
1: Next up, we have Farhan Lalji, TSN. Patrick, just to follow up on um,
0: Dale's appointment, you know, obviously there was some controversy around him in the playoff bubble. He got cleared of any wrongdoing, but when you when you kind of have that situation, there tends to be some residual baggage. Was there any concern about that before?
2: Bringing him on as part of the organization? Well, we, we checked with NHL, and the NHL hired an outside law firm to, to fully ingest, investigate the matter there. Um, and NHL have, have cleared Dale talent of any wrongdoing. Um, so um, we're, we're really excited to have Dale on board here.
0: And as far as the assistant coaching is concerned, you mentioned there's a number of good candidates. Uh, I know there was a point in time where. Um, I think even Bruce may have indicated that you weren't sure if you were going to add a body. Are you committed to adding one, and what's the timeline for that?
2: Um, as I said before, I, I don't. I don't think we have a, a really set the timeline for it. Bruce and I are communicating, and, and we we're following up on, on kind of daily basis here and see what's available and if there is a right fit. Uh, um, and if there is a the right fit, I believe we will add a add a person. But uh, we're not going to force anything at this po- at this point. Next is Chris Faber, Canucks Army. Hey, Patrick, just got uh, one question here. Just asking with development camp a few weeks away, uh, I was curious about some of the guys out in
0: Abbotsford. I know they played some pro seasons, but are we expecting to see some of the younger players from Abbotsford be at
2: development camp? Um, I, To be honest, I uh, um, Brian Johnson and Cammy has been working on the roster there, but I believe there will be... Um, some of the first year pro guys that will attend uh, play the first year pro in atmosphere, they will, will be attending uh, the development camp.
1: Okay. looks like that's our last question. So we'll leave it there. Our thanks to Canucks general manager, Patrick Alvin.
0: That is Canucks GM Patrick Alvin fielding questions from the media. Uh, shortly after the club announced that they made some additions and promotions inside their hockey operations department and if you're just joining us we were just kind of uh, we had to throw to patrick Alvine before we ran down the whole list of the additions so i'll do that quickly now ryan johnson as you heard they promoted uh, to the assistant to the general manager dale Talon, which will get a lot of the discussion or a lot of the focus uh, hired as a senior advisor and professional scout scott young hired as the director of player personnel he was Previously serving as the director of player development in Pittsburgh. Dylan Crawford, who is Mark Crawford's son, of course, former Canuck, former Canucks coach, joins the team as the video coach. Uh, Frank Golden, previously an amateur scout in Pittsburgh, joins as specifically a college free agent scout. So more changes, more additions, more promotions We've been saying that a lot, Drancer. I feel almost a sense of deja vu now when we're prepping for our show and the, the, <laughs> the, the uh, press release hits that that more names have joined the Canucks hockey operations. Now, having heard from Patrick Alvin, what's your just immediate takeaway from, from all of the news of the day here?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. The, the biggest takeaway for me is that there was no additional diligence done into the hiring of Dale Talon aside from just checking with the league. That that seems insufficient, I think, considering the seriousness of the allegations. And, and granted, he was exonerated in full by the NHL, but uh, seems like something you might want to look into beyond just like we good okay and moving on. Um, you know, I, that's that's sort of the the talent hire is the one that's going to soak up the headlines. So let's get that out of the way. I obviously know the know the man well. Uh, worked with him day every day daily for three years, and you know I just think that considering some of the hires that this club has made and the confidence that they ex- inspired within this market in terms of taking a new approach to staffing this front office, you know, this doesn't feel a part of that. This doesn't feel a part of that. And and you're seeing the skepticism online, um, you know, built winning teams for sure through the draft in, in Chicago, but in Florida, I mean, the failure to flesh out that elite core group with talent uh, doomed that team. And it took a fresh set of eyes and a fresh executive to get that team over the hump. Um, you know, <laughs> and with, with a variety of, uh, contracts that were, you know, very tough to navigate still on the books for them, including the Sergei Bobrovsky deal. Um, don't understand that one. Don't understand that one. Don't particularly think it's a good look for the club or something that'll be helpful, but you know, these are often, often honorific positions, but if that's the, your best case scenario. That's that's not a hire that's sort of in line or deserving of praise the same way some of this club's other staffing decisions have been.
0: And I think the way you put it there, which is that we've seen a lot of very forward-thinking hires, obviously, and were and some really interesting ones from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine as they build their hockey operations department. And, you know, the I've seen a lot of reaction from Canucks fans that kind of immediately goes to the worst-case scenario, which is that a guy who, as you said, had... A track record that leaves an awful lot to be desired in Florida is now going to be, you know, a major part of the Hawker Operations Department. I don't think that's going to be the case. But as you said, if what you can say about it is basically he's not going to have much of an impact, well, there's not a lot, it's not exactly, a, you know, serious praise of the hire either. And to me, it just feels like a very old school NHL move, right? Where yep. hockey lifer, hey. We'll give you an advisor title, and you can be a pro scout. You can go to the rink in Florida for us and and file some reports. Yeah, that, that's what it feels like more than anything, a very old-school hockey well, NHL thing.
1: Except that Dale, of course, and, and Jim Rutherford are very close, very good friends. So, you know, there there's no way that he won't be used as a sounding board, particularly given his overall experience. He should be. I mean, that's part of what you're bringing in when you have uh, a guy with a senior advisor title and a rookie general manager, uh, you know, all of that sort of makes sense it's an it's another voice another person who's been through it uh to to sort of work with so look I mean again I I think for people who've been watching this club staff the front office and getting a little bit excited about some of the different approaches some of the bright lights that the club has brought in you know the the talent hire feels like uh you know reason to maybe maybe not let your guard down about the overall direction of the franchise and so we'll see how it goes uh there's a big off season ahead And, you know, that's that's sort of what I've got to say about it in terms of the other stuff, because there's actually some really interesting stuff in the other. Very, I think very interesting and and some interesting stuff that's that's both wholly positive. Scott Young's a really smart guy and
0: so, so let's start with scott young because probably not a name that necessarily everyone is immediately familiar with but when you dig into the resume and and what he's been doing it's a really really fascinating hockey career stanley cup champion as a player long long time NHLer. after being a first round pick has done a ton of different things up uh, in his retirement career with different you know he's coached for the u.s at the olympics uh was previously serving as the director of player development and Pittsburgh and what I thought was in particular was particularly interesting. So his title is going to be director of player personnel. What Patrick Alvin had to say specifically was he's going to be in charge of college free agent recruitment, uh, recruiting and, and looking after unsigned draft picks as well. And then also special assignments. And what he said, he's, he's not going to be here in the city no. in Vancouver. He's going to be out on, on the road. The, well, scouting. he's going to be
1: on the East Coast. Yeah. And that's where he's made his name. Like, that's that's what Scott Young did for the Penguins. And when you consider their success during his tenure there, uh, Brian Rust, Connor Sheary, Jake Gensel, uh, Zach Aston Reese, I mean, it is a absolutely loaded group of college players. I remember midway through the 2019-20 um, campaign, I, I looked at it and looked at all the players playing for various teams who'd come through the NCAA ranks. So for the Canucks that season, you'd had Besser, you had Godet who was on his 40-point pace season you had Quinn Hughes right I mean there was a, a ton of talent there Stetcher Stetcher was, yep. was on the team yeah there was a lot of guys who'd come through that route and the Canucks had gotten 219 games played out of college for agents and 116 points which was second in the entire NHL second in the entire NHL 116 points at that point in February like just just weeks before the pause um, that the Canucks had gotten those types of contributions first, however, was the Pittsburgh Penguins at 155. The Canucks were second with 116. The Penguins were first with 155. I mean, just ridiculous work. And so bringing him in, particularly given that the club whiffed on signing NCAA free agents this past timeout, right? They they didn't have, you know, there's there was good work done and good pitches made, and they were close in a couple of instances. You know, I think there's a variety of people who will be even more effective with Scott Young helping to shepherd the club along. Um, Scott Young sort of bringing his experience and relationships to bear and then enabling people like Chris Higgins, you know, to, to be even more effective than he has been previously. This is not an indictment on what happened, but the club needed more heft in this area. We saw that play out over the course of this NCAA free agent season where the Canucks landed nothing, despite it being a key plank of, of Alvian's stated strategy to restock the cupboards, as it were. Hate that term. I hate restocking cupboards. These aren't cupboards. It's an organization. Anyway. How do you feel about pipeline? I'm okay with pipeline. All right. All right. Good a, to know. Because a pipeline is right.
0: A pipeline is like. Where it's always going, moving it's forward. It's always moving a forward. Cupboard is a cupboard is stationary. stationary. Yeah. yeah.
1: You like put a toy in. It comes to life. It's magical. I mean, a cupboard. A cupboard's where I keep non-perishables. And guess what? Prospects? They're very perishable. Incredibly perishable. Yeah. It's not a dynamic enough analogy. I, I actually loathe it's
0: it. It's more like uh, cleaning out. You, you buy new groceries, and then you clean out the old ones from but your the fridge. But the cupboards
1: were empty! It's like such a ridiculous fan trope. Anyway, the Penguins have had enormous success there. The Canucks struggled with it in Alvian's first go-around through the NCAA free agent signing period. Scott Young's going to help. They are going to have one of the best college talent evaluators and recruiters in the league within their organization. That's huge. And Frank Golden coming in to add an additional set of eyeballs matters too. And look, this doesn't just pertain to recruitment. This doesn't just pertain to, like, they needed more bodies. You know, Aiden McDonough's last college game, the club had a member of the pro scouting department there. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Like, you know, Kyle Dubas was there for Matt Nise's last game. Like, when there's, you know, GMs are there (laughs) sometimes when you've got College players playing those games. Now, that's not always going to be possible. But being able to send Scott Young, that's a really weighty. That's a guy with a lot of weight to handle that job. That's a huge hire. A phenomenal bit of business for the Canucks. Um, As Alvin said, the Penguins let him out of contract. Uh, So they're getting the band back together. It's a band that had a fair bit of success in Pittsburgh. Scott Young joins you know, his Penguins colleagues, Derek Clancy, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin. Uh, That's a smart group. I thought the Scott Young hire was a really impactful one. It could be... Something that pays off in a major way for this club over the next three, four years.
0: I thought it was really interesting, too, because director of player personnel could mean a lot of different things, right? But to hear Patrick Alvine lay it out so explicitly... This is what he's going to be doing. This is, like, number one. What's Scott Young going to be doing? Number one, here's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be heading our college free agent recruitment. And, you know, not that anybody expected, just because they struck out in this go-around, for them to throw their hands up and say, yeah, what are you going to do? I guess we won't go down that route again. But it does really just reinforce how important they see that element for this team going well, and, forward.
1: And it's what they dined out on in, in with the Penguins, right? It's the Buzz Fisbit thing. It's the, this is it. This is what allowed the Penguins to build around Crosby and Malkin and win two in a row late in their careers. Like this is it. This is the calling card of that Penguins regime. This is effectively a effort to take what was best from one club and bring it here. And if it works, that's going to be a durable competitive advantage for this club. Um, It's not easy to recreate that level of success by no means is it guaranteed just because you have the right people. But getting the right people in is a big part of the task, and it looks like the Canucks have done it. They've really bolstered this department. And then you throw in the fact that, you know, underneath Scott Young, and, and you've now got Frank Golden, a specific amateur scout working to sign college well, free Well, they
0: listed his title as college free agent scout.
1: Well, and that's really key because the Canucks had a, a, a guy who did that, and he was sort of thrown out following... Uh, the 2021 campaign and his name just escapes me right now, but I'll, I'll think of it, but he worked closely with Stan Smeal uh, who, who used to oversee this was, was deeply involved in a variety of successes that the club had had. Cause this is not an area that the club has historically struggled in, but they changed the department up. Stan Smeal got uninvolved, removed from that process. They fired the scout who did the job that golden now does. And then they, they haven't been able to get anybody except Mark Michaelis in like three years, three, four years. And you know, among the many reasons why this prospect pipeline is so atrophied, why there's so little flowing through it, is also that they've been unable to land some of these guys, um, or, or they just haven't even gone out and done it. Like, they just haven't been able to go and keep that flow of, you know, sure, yeah, Stetchers and Tanevs on the top end, but also, you know, a, a paddy. Or or guys like that who can come in and play, or even just bets, just bets that don't quite work out. A a Michaelis or you know a Kellen Lane. Uh, You got to have those guys. You got to you got to have those guys coming through. This is a big step to re-engage that process. Now the Ryan Johnson piece. Ryan Johnson gets a promotion, but it feels more like he had to vacate the role for Scott Young. To me, sure. And you know the the role seemed nebulously defined by Alvin. Well. When
0: Patrick O'Leane was talking about what's going to be different, I'm not did I I'm not sure I heard anything different in the description. I I, sur-
1: I, I wouldn't say I heard anything that sounded like a promotion.
0: Right? right. So right. it's a title bump, but he's still going to be running Aperture
1: on the AHL and then my right-hand man on all player transactions. So, you know, that that doesn't sound like a significant bump in title or or responsibility, which to me doesn't square with the reality of the fact that for much of the past 7-8 months, like Ryan Johnson's been the guy you know, Spider-Man on the, on the subway, like holding eight different threads <laughs> to keep it all together. Right. Like there were parts of the season where he was managing the AHL team, staffing like the third goaltender, you know, like he was finding the e-bugs through Omicron crisis and, you know, uh, an e-bug for Abbotsford and an e-bug for the Canucks. Like, let's go. Uh, same day. Okay. Um, you know, did I already say he was managing the cap? Cause he was. Uh, and then also, you know, Maintaining his usual things and helping a new group of executives acclimatize to the organization. So, Ryan Johnson was at, traveling with the team as well. It, so, Ryan Johnson was at various points of the season, like the guy who held it all together. And, you know, I, I thought at various points that he might end up being assistant general manager, which which I thought was an earned opportunity. Um, but looks like it's assistant to the GM. Not You know, I don't have any insight into whether... There's actually any uh, hurt feelings or, or anything there. It is a promotion at the end of the day, but it's you know it doesn't feel like a big bump in responsibilities, and certainly not one that's commensurate with his impact over the course of the past you know twelve months for this club. I think
0: at the very least, it makes his title. I don't want to say fully match his duties, but as Alvin mentioned previously, his title was uh, focused on player development, and then also general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. So I think it does get him closer, Ryan Johnson, to what he's actually doing and the role he actually has uh, in this organization. And again, you know, it's it's obviously everyone uh, who's an Office fan their their mind immediately goes to Dwight Schrute when you hear "Assistant to the General Manager." It's just one of those things. I, it caught me by surprise or caught me off guard a little bit when I read it. But there you go. They're certainly trying to portray it as a as a promotion, and it is a promotion for Ryan Johnson, just not quite one in the in the way that maybe a lot of people would have anticipated. and We have been anticipating uh, for quite some time now, given all of that. And and I will say, I mean, Patrick Alvine was extremely complimentary of Ryan Johnson, right? Saying how much he respects him, how much he's relied on him since he's joined the organization. And the interesting thing with Ryan Johnson is, you know, he joined the team after his playing career when Mike Gillis was still uh, the general manager. I think it was an advisory role then, but he's obviously continued to... Kind of climb the ladder, gain more responsibilities across three different general manager regimes now, right? And I think that speaks to a lot of the value that Ryan Johnson can bring and a lot of the respect uh, he's garnered within the organization as well. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Keep your thoughts. Uh, on this Canucks news coming in.
1: I just want to touch on Dylan Crawford, too. That's the other hire announced today. That's a video coach hire. Uh, Crawford is, of course, Mark Crawford's son. Yep. Um, and, you know, pretty pretty well-respected, has put in some time at, at lower levels, honing his skills as a video coach, uh, a foothold in the game for for Dylan. Um You know, I just wanted to quickly touch on that so we could move on to various other topics, including some explosive reports out of Donnie and Dolly this morning, which I think we need to touch on and also preview the game in the second segment. But the Canucks have made a series of hires, some of them really interesting, some of them confidence shaking a little bit. In terms of, you know, hoping that this organization was going to make different types of decisions going forward. We'll see where it all lands and we'll see what all what it all means as we get into the meat of the Canucks offseason over the next few weeks.
0: Lots more to come on the other side. More Canucks Talk Plus looking ahead to game five, potential Stanley Cup clincher, potential final game of the season happening in Colorado. Keep your thoughts coming in 650, 650. More Canucks hour on the way on your home with the Canucks. Sportsnet, 650. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit AvenueMachinery.ca. Another one of those days, Drancer, where, you know, when I woke up, I wasn't entirely sure what we would be talking about other than Game 5. Of the Stanley Cup final today, but uh, shout out to the Canucks and also some of our colleagues in the media uh, giving us a little bit of grist for the mill, which we'll get into momentarily here. Just a final thought on the Canucks front office situation. <laughs> and, you know, a minor Matt texted in 650, uh, 650. Where do the Canucks rank in terms of their hockey ops payroll? And obviously, that that kind of information not publicly available, so we have no idea. But boy, there's a lot of bodies. There are a lot of bodies in the front office now. I was trying to just list all of the relevant names as we were prepping for the show, and it reminds me of the uh, like the Corleone crime family chart in, in Godfather 2. <laughs> it's just packed with, with Jim Rutherford at the top, and then it all flows down from there. There are a lot of people. A lot of people have been added uh, to this front office over the last six months
1: or so. You're invoking Omerta today? <laughs> anyway, regarding the... Regarding the news out of Donnie and Dolly, because let's get back into it. Let's do it. Dollywall reported today that there's no surprise from the Miller camp that he's that there's reports of him being shopped. And he, and he added that there have been, he was told by a source that the Canucks have been listening on Miller since February. That matches, you know, about the time that we started talking about it on an every hour basis on this program, on these airwaves. But an interesting one, you know, from Dolly Wall's commentary, we sort of can imply, I think, especially especially because it was matched in part by by uh, Nick Kiprios, uh, Sportsnet's Nick mm-hmm. Kiprios on, on the Real Kipper show today, that, you know, it's, it does sound like Miller's name is out there being, being heard by uh, people in league circles and other teams considering that possibility. So, look, I don't want to belabor the point and be like, this is happening. But I do believe, and we talked about it a little bit this week, I do think it behooves the Canucks to be proactive one way or another. You either get an extension done, and it has to be a team-friendly extension, which is too bad. I mean, you look at this top six group, you look at Besser, you look at Horvat. you look at Miller, right? You look at Pedersen. All of these guys have outperformed their contracts. And the problem with that, the problem with that is the bill comes due. The bill comes due, and the Canucks aren't set up to pay fair value for all of their top six contributors who've absolutely lit things up over the past few years despite the team's lack of success. Like, you can't pay everyone fair value and build the level of depth around them you need to compete at this time of the year in the Stanley Cup final against teams like Colorado and Tampa Bay. I mean, look at these fourth lines. Look at these third lines, right? The, the amount of talent you need to win in this league is embarrassing. Like, the really good teams, they're they're embarrassingly loaded. And to get there, you can't have, you know, a bunch of guys paid fairly. Like, it just, I know I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. That's what the hard-capped NHL does in terms of forcing teams to decide between fair compensation and, and actually building a winning team to some extent. Um, you know, I, I thought Ryan Kessler had some really interesting commentary on this when he was talking about the Leafs loss the other day, where he was like, the biggest problem is that their guys didn't take less to win. Right, I thought that was a remarkably cogent piece of analysis about that team's structure as opposed to focusing on, you can't pay four guys that much. It's like, every team pays four guys that much. That's the model now. It's a stars and scrubs league. But, you know, anyway, it's a fascinating dichotomy there. I do think the Canucks need to be decisive here in terms of having either team-friendly settlements or... Trading the players before the value gets complicated, before cap space gets allocated around the league and the number of bidders decrease, before the player's willingness to sign an extension with another trade partner becomes the major factor, deciding what their value will be, that, that pre-agent factor which we've been talking about a little bit. One way or another, a decision has to be made. And I'm not going to sit here and say that the Canucks should trade X really, really good top six player who's going to take years to replace, because those are absolutely arduous decisions to make, like brutal, brutally difficult a, decisions. It, you just look at the number of times it's happened around the NHL, and there's a reason it doesn't happen, because it's an extraordinarily hard decision to make. Extraordinarily hard. But one way or another, you have to be decisive, right? Whatever path you take, whether it's to extend or or trade for futures, you have to be decisive, and you have to make that decision in the next couple of weeks, and it certainly seems like the club's preparing to do exactly that with what we're hearing uh, in the latest sort of machinations of the rumor mill.
0: And just on the the report from Rick Dollywell today on, on Donnie and Dolly, as you said, matches what Nick Kiprios had to say on on the fan 590 in Toronto on Real Kipper and Bourne. You know, in some respects, it's not surprising at all, that the Canucks are listening that, you know, trade conversations or, or at least, I, mean, I don't know, the intro to trade conversations are happening between the Canucks and other teams on JT Miller. The fact that it goes back to February, also not particularly surprising. I do think it's, It hits different, as the kids say, when you're less than two weeks away from the NHL draft, right, where we are accustomed to seeing these sorts of blockbuster deals go down. Listening on a player like JT Miller has a different connotation at this time of year. You know, the the offseason could start in earnest tonight if Colorado wraps it up, and we could really be in the thick of, you know, silly season around the NHL. So I think listening on a player right now has a different connotation than it does at other times In the calendar. And the other thing, and I, you know, I was listening to, uh, to Don Taylor and Rick Dolly while chatting about this. As you said, it's going to take a team friendly deal for it to make sense for the Vancouver Canucks. If JT Miller wants to maximize what he can earn, I just don't see a way that it's going to be with the Canucks. The number they threw out today, the guys on Donnie and Dolly, which we've, we've talked about here as well as the Mika Zabinajad deal. Which was eight years at 8.5 million. That gets you to I, I believe 68 million in total money. And when you hear that you know the Canucks, they don't want to go you know, they want to limit the term of a potential JT. Miller uh, s- contract extension. you know, Rick Jollywell said today in terms of annual value, they want that they, they've been kind of in the high sevens. Well, if you're not going to go to eight million in AAV and you're trying to limit the term, you're not going to get, you're not going to approach the number of the Mika Zabinajad deal. And if that's your framework and you're truly willing to stick to your guns and say, nope, this is where we draw the line on a JT Miller contract extension, even though we love the player. If that's your kind of breaking point, then it almost becomes an inevitability that they trade him because I just don't see a way that JT Miller leaves that kind of money on the table in order to sign here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he loves it enough here and he wants to, you know, he likes his role. Likes Bruce Boudreaux, likes the direction of the team and all that, and he says, you know what, I'm willing to take that kind of hit, but boy, that's a big hit, and I would just generally bet against
1: a hockey player leaving that kind of money on the table. Uh, always, uh, always good to bet on the pocketbook ruling decision-making, period. That's usually how it goes, but but I mean, that's sort of where the Canucks are at, and, and Rutherford didn't really shy away from this earlier on in the offseason when he discussed the matter on these very airwaves, right? He sort of framed the Miller decision as a sign or trade. Like it's either an extension or or it's a deal. And I, I don't see a way for the club to go into the season with this uncertainty hanging over them and getting a and getting an outcome that makes sense for the club. I think the more the longer you wait, the lower the value, the longer you wait, the harder the decision becomes too, particularly once you're in the thick of a competitive season and you know you have any smell of a playoff berth. All bets become off, and not just for this club, although we know that this club loves to um, prioritize the present, right? But for any club, for any team, it becomes that much more complicated if you wait. Club can't afford to do it. Feels like that's beginning to come to a head based on, you know, various reports out out of our colleagues at Sportsnet and Rick Dollywall on Friday morning. And
0: as I said, this is the time where these conversations start to get more real. Where yeah. they start to pick up steam because we're we're going into it we're going into the time of year where they happen and it's it, it's a lot different talking to a team now than it is you know when you're both sitting watching the first round of the playoffs in the last week of April or the first week of May right i I think it has a very different connotation right now and just to your point about proactiveness Jim Rutherford hasn't come out and, and laid it out in those terms, but he's also said we ought to make a decision here right we're going to have a tough decision to make so what I hear from that is, he understands the need to be
1: proactive. Yeah, if it's not text, but it's very, very pressing subtext, in my view, from what the organization has said publicly about these matters. Moving on to Besser, Dollywall also reported that, you know, the sides had talked. So there's something there, but, but not particularly close. And, of course, the time is beginning to tick down toward two relevant deadlines, right? July 2nd, which is a week away, and July 11th, which is, what, two and a half weeks away. Yep. July second is the date wherein the club can the deadline for clubs filing for club elected arbitration, and that's a brutal solution in this instance. So, club elected arbitration permits teams to attempt to roll back a player's salary. So, one benefit of the arbitration route is that if you file for arbitration, you can present the arbitrator with a number that seeks to reduce Besser's salary to by fifteen percent to eighty five percent of the contract's total value. So that would be $6.375 million. Well, that's a cap hit you might like a little bit better with, with Besser, but there's so much uncertainty. First of all, there's no guarantee going through the arbitration process that you get that, particularly when you're talking about a player who's been a consistent 30-goal, 65-point guy per 82 games over 350-ish game NHL career, right? Besser is established, proven, and he does some of the things that get compensated most highly. So there's no guarantee. Additionally, you have to wait. For the end of an arbitration hearing until you get cost certainty on exactly what his value will be and you don't get control over what that number is that number is decided adjudicated by a third party which is deeply inconvenient particularly as you look to flesh out this roster right like certainty helps you do that uh, particularly when you don't have oodles of cap space at your disposal the third factor to be mindful of here is that you basically nuke the relationship with the player? <laughs> I mean, it is a deeply personal move to to do that. Uh, I, I mean, I think that would be you know a scorched earth approach, and there's no there's no benefit to that. And addition, and the last thing is, if you file as a club for team elected arbitration, the player gets to decide one or two years of term. So you also cede the ability to determine the the amount of term attached to the award through the process. So, you know, say you were to lose the hearing in in some material way and Besser was to be awarded 7-ish or something like that for 2 years, well, then you've kind of hosed yourself. You've you've walked the player to free agency. You haven't even reduced his cap hit by more than 500k. Like there's no benefit to going in that and direction. And you've damaged the relationship. So, you know, this is an inside information. This is thinking through the process, understanding how it works. There's no benefit to going that route for the Canucks. The other possible route is a trade route, but all of this complicated mechanics that we've talked about impacts any team that acquires him too, which makes Besser, just from a trade perspective, a bit of a distressed asset. This is a 25-year-old sniper, right? A guy who scores at a 30 goal per 82 game pace and is a quality enough two-way player that he holds up and is productive at the very top of your lineup. That's a player that should have massive trade value, and right now you'd be selling for cents on the dollar. Makes no sense, in my mind. Maybe it's something the club considers. Uh, I, you know, I won't be absolutely chin-on-the-floor flabbergasted if, if this ends up uh, occurring in that manner, but it doesn't really make sense. It's not optimal with where the club is positioned. Then there's the qualifying offer out. Well, if you tender Besser a one-time $7.5 million qualifying offer, history indicates that he's likely to accept it pretty quick. Pretty quick. That actually is the least bad solution that we've outlined so far because at least you get cost certainty, at least it's done. Of course, there's problems there. Problems for both the player who doesn't get the security of a multi-year deal and problems for the team who are now paying, you know, a really, really good top-line player as if he's a 1A superstar, right? I mean, there's almost nobody who makes 7.5 that produced the way Besser did this past season unless they were significantly injured throughout the course of the year like a a Malkin or or a Jack Eichel. That's the best solution. The best solution is an inefficient short-term contract. That's how complicated this situation is. Finally, The last sort of situation to consider, you could non-tender him, in which case you lose a very, very good player for nothing, which this club's not positioned to do, considering how little asset value they have in the overall organization. The fact that Besser's really, really good. The best solution here, once once you lay it out, right, clearly, is a compromise agreement. Club's talking about it with Besser's camp, doesn't feel like there's been a ton of progress, and time is getting late. You want to get that done before the 11th. Ideally, you want to get that done before the 2nd so that you're bargaining with the specter of arbitration hanging over it, right? That's one card that you have to play that sort of, you know, at least it doesn't take Besser's camp out of the driver's seat, but at least it puts one of your hands on the wheel. At least it's something you can, you know, lean on to be like, it's, well, we could do this. That could be a possibility too. It's one tiny piece of leverage. Even if they don't really card. believe
0: you're going to use it, it's still,
1: it's hanging over them It's there, a card right? to play. Yeah. And so time is getting late in terms of reaching that type of favorable settlement. For me, this is probably or should be the highest priority matter for the Canucks prior to the draft. Even, even higher than the extension or trade decisions for Horvath and Miller, because this one's even more time sensitive. If you're going to reach that compromise agreement, you've got to come to it relatively quickly. And there's no outcome that is favorable to the team in nearly, to nearly the same degree as that one. If you can get it done, the extension, yeah, the extension is is, yeah. is the absolute goal. And I a, th- a three year deal at like a six, you know, some somewhere like six five, six six, five. six yeah, something like that. That's your best possible outcome by, a mile, by I, a mile. If I had to bet on the outcome, that's what I would bet on. Oh, I, but uh, it's not a guarantee. I think I think you'd get decent odds because I think by far the betting favorite should be one, one times seven five.
0: Yeah, it's just it is it's a tricky math problem because if he accepts the QO, then he gets the same QO. He's entitled to the same QO next year, right? Yep. So that's you can look at that as a two-year deal worth a total of 15 million. Three years at six point five. What's that? That's just shy of twenty million. It's nineteen and a half. So is that difference? Is that enough to coerce him into taking? Uh, incentivize him well, into taking? Yeah,
1: and the, that's and the question. The coercion. It's formulation not not the is, best word. is the not wrong the best one word. Yeah. because because here's one of the one of the things that you can do right like if you're going to be creative about this right one of the one of the edges one of the ways one of the weapons available to a team to drive settlement here is that a, a one-year qualifying offer is paid out entirely in paragraph one salary which means that for Besser's camp it would take nine months to see that seven and a half million or you could go in and I checked this contract formulation that I'm about to present to you against the variability formula that governs NHL players, SPCs in the, in the CBA, you could go in with eight in the first year, 7 million in signing bonuses. So that's like the day you sign, you get $7 million, you get your, you get almost your entire qualifying offer. And if you're an American national earning in Canada, that's hugely advantageous, not just because always you want money up front, but also for, for taxation reasons, then you'd structure deal year two at six and a half with five and a half in signing bonus Structure the third year at five and a half, uh, four and a half in signing bonus. So it's almost all paid out in lump sum payments. It's it's front loaded, and and there's a ton of benefits to doing this types of deal for both sides. Unfortunately, it's also a really expensive proposition. Like it's something that require. But I just don't see any way out of this that doesn't require the team to pony up. You know, either pony up in terms of the cap it, or you pony up in terms of hard Sign cash. Bonuses or you make a suboptimal decision for the team. And this is why it's such a big test of the organization's fortitude at every level, but in particular, the deal-making ability of of Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, we're going to learn an awful lot about it over the course of the next few weeks as the Besser situation plays itself out.
0: Quickly, Game 5. Stanley Cup on the line for the Colorado Avalanche. In Colorado, do you have a feeling, a gut feeling, a
1: sense of, uh, of what you expect to see tonight? I, I think Colorado's going to come out incredibly i think we're going to see a fireworks show in the first 10 minutes and the game will turn on whether or not the lightning are close thereafter like i think we're either going to see it be two nothing and and the cup is over like the final is over or the abs throw the kitchen sink the tampa bay lightning bend but don't break and if they do that i think they're going to win and force a game six Abs are the heavy favorites
0: at playnow.com, uh minus 185 to win tonight and to win the Stanley Cup tonight. Uh, you call that heavy? It's pretty heavy I would
1: say. It's decent. It's not right. it's not exactly it's not overwhelming. It's not it's you're not doubling your money. No. Or you're not, you know, I mean, it feels right to me though. But if you're betting on if you're betting on Tampa, you're not doubling your money. You're at a no. y- you're at what? What's the decimal point on it? Like It would point? be, hold
0: on, I've closed the tab now, but <laughs> yeah. Anyways,
1: yeah. whatever. It's like a 1.80 for every dollar you invest. Yeah, Something so, like that. So I mean, I wouldn't call them heavy underdogs, but they're underdogs. It feels like, I, I agree with you about Colorado coming out on fire. I think we're going to
0: see that. Oh, yeah. This feels like the game that Vasilevsky needs to steal to me. Not that Tampa can't do it in other ways. Of course, that's always capable. And as you said, if it's close after the first 10 minutes, they have other ways to win. They have other ways to get back in the game. But just with the injuries piling up. Yeah, you can feel the miles of on that, the lightning now. It feels like they need Vasilevsky to be the guy to have that type of performance. Uh, Not that we've all kind of been waiting for because he's had some really good moments in this series. But to have the truly signature moment uh, where he steals this game and kind of breathes new life back into the Stanley Cup champions. But either way, yeah, Stanley Cup in the building in Colorado tonight. I don't know. If I had to bet one way or another, I'm probably taking the abs to finish this off. But as we know, very very foolish to ever count out the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's going to be really fascinating to see how this one plays out. There's a chance that we are officially into the offseason. Actually, there's a very good chance that they play on Sunday again, Dranter. But the ne- that the next time we come on the air, we're uh, we're breaking down the implications of. A Stanley Cup final and looking ahead to the offseason for the whole we'll NHL. We'll either be
1: doing that or breaking down a Game 7.
0: Either way. Which will be pretty good. Either That'll way, be pretty tune in fun on too. Monday. We'll have some fun. That'll be pretty fun, too. Alright, we will be back on Monday. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy your weekend. The People's Show, I'm filling in for Bick with Randeep today. That is coming up next. You've got it on the Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.